Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. This is John Burke. With me this week is... As always, Corey Starr. <laughs> That's right. Um, this week, uh, for episode 24, we're going to be reviewing the film Lolita from 1962, um, directed and written by, although not credited, uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, we're getting into two trailers uh, for next week, for June 23rd, and... Um, and we'll tell you what we're going to be watching next week. So, Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I am okay. I have seen two movies, actually two and a half movies, um, in the last <gasps> two days. Um, two new and one older. Um, I saw All Eyes on Me last night, uh, which has some good stuff, but um, unfortunately suffers from some pretty bad writing, primarily in the structure of the story. Um, it's kind of bad how they structure things. Uh, there's no real reason for the way they structured it. Um, I'm hoping this will not be the last Tupac Shakur biopic that we get, and we get something similar to what happened with Steve Jobs, how we had Jobs with, a um, Ashton Kutcher playing him, and then we had Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender, directed by Danny Boyle and, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin. Substantially different movies, much better the second time around. Hoping we get something like that with Tupac Shakur. Um, I then went today and saw 47 Meters Down. Um, and that is probably where that movie belongs. Just. Oh, I um, knew it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. It's not what it looks like it is. Um, it, it, it really. I don't want it to spoil if you're really like, oh, I can't wait to see 47 Meters Down. You've seen most of the shark content in the trailer. Um like, if you've watched the trailer for 47 Meters Down, you've seen the sharks about as much as you're going to see the sharks. Um, almost every scene in the trailer with sharks is the only scenes in the movie that have sharks. It's more about... It, it's similar to Gravity than it is to a shark movie. Um, it's more about the isolation and the hopelessness of being trapped in a very unlikely survivable situation. Um, okay. With a lot of cheesy dialogue slammed in there for good measure. So... Uh, like early in the film we're told about the diving uh, there's a device that tells you how much air you have left and it starts off at 200 when it's full and okay. so we know right then that anything close to zero is bad right like yeah yeah well the they apparently like don't trust the intelligence of the audience because um, when it's <laughs> at, at two she's like oh no I'm almost out of air like yes and saying that the, wasted oh. precious breath. Like, we know. All we need to see is that you're at two, and we get it. You're in trouble. Like, life is not good for you. We understand that. And please trust the audience to, you know, figure that out for themselves. We don't need exposition for the obvious. Um, and again, it didn't sound like something someone would say if they were really dying. Um, you know, it just, it was, it wasn't like I'm they were, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I would definitely waste some of that precious oxygen letting everyone around me know that I'm almost out of oxygen. Which is nobody, and that's even more annoying. No, no! Nobody else can hear except for us, so it's clearly a message for us, um, and it, it's it's a waste of, uh, well, breath. So, um, And then what I was watching before uh, recording this, I, I our cable box, I told you my cable box went out, and I had to get yes. another cable box. It went out again today. So they didn't give me an extra one like you suggested, although apparently they should have because I don't have cable again because our cable box in the, in the living room keeps getting shorted, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, nothing else is wrong, and I'm knocking on wood while I say that because I don't want anything else to be wrong. But, like, everything else on that same entertainment center, perfectly fine, except for the cable box. This is at least the fourth time it's happened, but the first time it's ever happened this close together. Um, but so... I was without cable, so I couldn't watch, like, reruns or something, which is usually what I do when I'm working and I just have something on in the background. So I went to Netflix, and I ended up deciding on a stupid comedy um, that I figured I wouldn't like so I could do other stuff. And I was right so far. Uh, Masterminds with Zach Galifianakis, Kristen Bell, um, Kate McKinnon, Jason Sudeikis, Owen Wilson. Like, sounds like... Oh, and... um that have Kristen Wiig in it. Yeah. I, did I not say Kristen Wiig? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you oh, did. Okay. Um, I thought I did, but I may not have. But um, yeah, uh, it's it is pretty pretty rough. Um, like man, um, Galifianakis has a country accent. 
Um, yeah. It's real hard to sit through. And then um, it's a it says it's based on a true story. Now, I don't know if that's true at all, but it's uh, set in 1997. So if it's not based on a true story, then it's a random period piece uh, for no real reason. And then, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's not the worst comedy I've ever seen. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's not... But it's not good either. Like, the jokes are pretty predictable, and um, the accent, I can't. I'm having a hard time getting through it. But I, I haven't finished it yet, so maybe it gets better. I doubt it. But um, Kate McKinnon's playing a really weird character, too. But that's kind of her thing, I guess. She gets cast. And um, Shirley, what's uh, the, the other girl from Ghostbusters? Shirley, I can't think of her name, but not Melissa McCarthy. Um, she Shirley Jones, I think that's her name. Um She's also in it, so it's like the it's almost the Ghostbusters group. It's just missing Melissa McCarthy, um, because it's it's Wig, uh, Jones, and McKinnon. So we're just missing McCarthy, um, and Hemsworth. But um, yeah, I was not enjoying it, but it is on Netflix. So if you're interested, um, what have you seen lately, Corey? Aside from Lolita. Um. Well, I think it's kind of funny because I just added that to my queue. <laughs> mastermind because <laughs> i think you all know i love Kristen wig um i've definitely seen movies i wouldn't watch otherwise because she's in them thank you um i'm trying to think i haven't actually watched a lot um we went and saw wonder woman a second time oh and my husband was the contrarian this time he does not like it <laughs> he thought it was fine but okay so here's a little story i had bribed him not really i asked him to go with me to see it comes at night and he's like okay sure and then he's like that movie has the dumbest title ever i'm not going to see that movie and then he didn't like wonder woman he said that they tried too hard and he said it was the same thing as with superman or yeah that they tried too hard to make them really empathetic to humans and it wasn't believable or something like that Hmm. putting words in my husband's mouth and then after the movie, he's like, well, I wish I would have gone to see It Comes at Night with you instead. But wow. that's on the table for this weekend. Um, and then I just watched Lolita. And when I'm like, you know, winding down. Oh, and also Roger Dodger, which was suggested to me by our friend Brendan, who's been on this. And it it's not a bad movie because there's nothing you know wrong with it it's not like uh, poor production or poor acting but it's so negative and so cynical and i'm just like oh my god like i already don't like humans sorry guys and then that just was like why am i watching this roger dodger sounds like it's up my alley um based on our review from last week where you didn't like the cynical small crimes and i did oh this is worse oh i'm sure but roger dodger is it a newer movie or an older movie no, it's older, and this is the thing. Um, I've had it in my DVD queue for a long time, and I've just now got it because it was, like, on a long wait. Ah, uh, okay. So it might be, yeah, kind of hard to get a hold of. Maybe right. it's streaming. Got it. Okay, well, those that's what we've been watching lately. We're going to get into uh, the trailers, which I know Corey is super excited to talk about this first movie. So um, without any further ado, let's get into trailer talk for June 23rd. Transformers The Last Night, which I'm willing to bet this will not be the last movie. So, Corey, have you seen any of the Transformers movies? I have seen approximately four minutes of the first Transformers movie, and that's it. Whoa, how come only four minutes? Uh, My father-in-law was watching it one day, and I was not intrigued at all. Um, You know... And it was like one of the action sequences where you couldn't see what was happening. And I was just like, what? Well, I will confess, um, I was not a Transformers fan as a kid. Like I was. A lot of people were. Because um, I, I fell into the Ninja Turtles, Thundercats, He-Man. Those were my big cartoons. And, of course, we've already mentioned Batman. I was a big, big Batman fan. Um, not cartoon, of course. is Adam West Batman that I used to watch reruns. But... Um, I never got into Transformers, and I think it was because they were too expensive to buy. Like, it was just a toy that, you know, they were expensive because they could do stuff that other action figures just didn't. And um, so I I never really got into them. And when the movie came out, I didn't care to see it. Um, And this was... I, I, I was not aware of who Michael Bay was when the first Transformers film came out, you know? So I had no, like, bias against it or anything like that. And when I went, I went with a friend. Um, I loved it. 
I really did. Like, I was really taken into it. I thought the robot's really cool. I particularly loved Bumblebee. So much so that I have a few Bumblebee action figures still from the first movie, uh, Mint in Box, currently available on eBay if you want to look for those. Um, but I have since become very much against the Transformers films, and I have not rewatched the first one to see if I would still enjoy it. Um, I don't think I would. I, I tried to get into the second one. I didn't. The third one I didn't. I did see Age of Extinction in the theater, which is the only... I saw the first and the fourth in the theater. The other ones I saw on DVD. Um, and I didn't like Age of Extinction. It was a, one of the longest commercials I've ever watched. Um, there is literally a part where a Budweiser truck gets ex uh, blown up, and there is a pile of Bud Lights um, in the road. Mark Wahlberg pops a cap and drinks one mid-battle. Mid-battle. Are you kidding? No, not at all. Um, there's a Victoria's Secret bus... You know, it's like it's a bus that gets has a Victoria's Secret ad on it. The whole bus blows up except for the front of the bus, so you can still read the words Victoria's Secret across it. I mean, that is what Michael Bay is known for is his product placement. Um, he is the master, and I can't, you know. Because you need a really good push-up bra on the verge of, you know, earth ending. I don't even know what they do in these I mean, movies, actually. To be fair, we on this side of the screen, we might need a good push-up bra because, you know, we're not dying because of robot aliens. So... Um, that said, it, they've become almost a parody of themselves, and this one looks bad. Like, some of the CG in the trailer looks bad. It genuinely does not look like he's spending the money on the, the production anymore. Like, he's just pocketing the product placement. And I, I have not seen the product placement in the trailers. I'm sure there will be tons. Um, I will probably see this. I do not want to give it my money. I do not think it's going to be good, but for the sake of reviewing it... I need to go watch it, and I am not looking forward to it because they have progressively gotten longer. So I'm worried this one might hit the three-hour mark. Um, what? Well, I have seen, I think, seven different trailers for this movie, and the, I feel like I've seen two. I've never seen this trailer that we either, watched. Me either. And I've I've seen seven different ones. So this one just holy came, hell. Um, just came. This is I didn't know I hadn't seen it until we were just watching it. I was like, oh well. This, that's surprising because I've literally seen it recut and there's some that focus on the girl, there's some that focus on Wahlberg, there's some that focus on Optimus, there's some, you know, the very first trailer was, uh, there's a Nazi flag in it because you're like, and you're yep. like, what? Um, but, so, um, I have no real interest in this, but the fact that I've seen all these trailers and I still find new footage, like in this trailer there were scenes I have not seen, I'm like, I... If they haven't shown me this whole movie already, that means this movie's got to be really long because I have seen so much of this movie. Um, oh. So, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it, but that does come out on the 23rd. Uh, it, it is expected to do well financially, um, but do abysmal critically. So none of us on the floor, on the uh, Summer Movie Challenge selected it. Um, but, yeah. I don't even know who chose what now. I know I've got Dunkirk. And mm -hmm. I'm hoping that pulls me some points, and I think it's going to be real good. But I know everyone's waiting with bated breath. Bumblebee has been announced for 2018, yep. and Transformers 7 for 2019. I think that's six. Oh, I thought that Bumblebee would be six. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess if I wouldn't, I wouldn't count a spinoff as a sequential for the main, like mm -hmm. um, the Han Solo movie. I wouldn't count as episode ten. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And Rogue totally. One isn't episode ten either, so um or nine, I guess. So I'm just looking at yeah, that's what, IMDb and figuring. But Bumblebee, if it's a which I don't know how you do a spin off movie of a thing that like I don't know. It I like Bumblebee a lot. Um the and they just showed in the trailer him getting like broken apart but then reattaching himself. So that's a new ability that I don't remember them having that they could like pop pop apart like a toy and then reassemble. I don't know. Um, looks bad. Uh, good luck if you're excited about it. I apologize if you are. Um, oh, no. For, no, for insulting, not because, you know, I, okay. I don't mean to diss your taste, um, but it is, a, it is a big, dumb action movie. And if I don't think anyone who likes it is arguing that it's some, you know, existential film. Like, I think everyone's like, yeah, no, it's a big, dumb action film. That's what I like about it. Okay, there you go. You can like that. That's totally acceptable. I generally prefer something that's... there. There are big action movies that aren't dumb and i tend to prefer those so um we got one more trailer for this week big sick um the big sick excuse me 
um, premiered at Sundance and got picked up, and it's out on limited release. I wanted to talk about this movie, though, because I am a huge fan of Kamel Nanjani and his wife, Emily V. Gordon, who wrote the movie with him. Um, this movie is loosely based on their life, and um, being a fan of theirs, uh, you know, I'm, this story feels familiar a little bit because I've heard them tell their story on some of their podcasts. Uh, they used to do a podcast on Nerdist called The Indoor Kids, which was a video game-related podcast, and then Kamel did The X-Files Files, where he went episode by episode um, uh, breaking down episodes of The X-Files because he's a huge fan and, in fact, got to be on one of the new episodes that they did last year. Um, That's rad. And Kamel is also uh, currently a star on Silicon Valley, the HBO series um, that is one of my favorite comedies on TV right now. Um, and so this movie, uh, directed by Michael Showalter, um, looks fantastic. It looks really funny. Ray Romano, Holly Hunter are in it. And... Um, it, it just it looks very genuine it's a rom-com with a heart um and i'm trying not to quote the actual like little blurbs but amazon studios has picked this up as well so that means that eventually it'll be on amazon instant once it does its theater run um but i'd like to support this movie so if you're if it comes to a theater near you you like rom-coms i highly recommend this film especially if you're not familiar with kamel nanjani he is a great stand-up act too actually he's got a few stand-ups that you can find on netflix and stuff um i'm very excited about it obviously Corey, what are your thoughts I don't know how I haven't heard about it, but it actually looks like it's right up my alley. It, it's the comedy. I love there's like a, a sarcastic edge to him. And that's um, have you seen Silicon Valley? I have not. That's a show I really think you would enjoy. Um, it's about a, a group of guys that live in a house together called an incubator where uh, they pay a guy um, basically to, to develop apps or try to make it in Silicon Valley, you know, in, in L.A. doing programming or whatever and it's now i think it's on season six um holy it's it's either six or seven it, it started right after game of thrones i think i think it was like season two or three of game of thrones and it, it always comes right before game of thrones comes back um and this season's almost over it's very very funny um in fact it's got one of the guys from freaks and geeks um is, is it martin star yes it is Oh my god, I love Martin Starr. Um, yeah, and he—it's him and Kamel have a, the funniest relationship because uh, they are—they are on the same team, but they—they they hate each other but love each other. Like it's one of those friendships where like they basically are friends that harass each other more than anything else. But you can tell there's love there. But <clears> oh man, it's so. <laughs> some of the things that happen between those two guys are funny, and uh, I. I I, I'm so happy to see Kamel doing great because I've been a fan for a little while before he got big um, because he was connected to the Nerdist. He's done uh, Douglas movies several times. Um, and then again, he has his own podcast. I ended up, um, when I started watching the X-Files a couple years ago, it was because I found out he had a podcast watching the X-Files. I'm like, what a good way to watch it. You know, so I'd watch an episode and I'd listen to the episode of the podcast. Um, so I'm really glad that uh, the movie did so well. Um, he's in a bunch of stuff. He shows up in various comedies, usually very small parts, though. Um, he was in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates last year. He's the masseuse. Uh, it's the funniest scene in the whole movie, um, easily. <laughs> and then, uh, man, he's in a bunch of stuff. I'm trying to think of what other movies he's popped up in recently, but it's always small parts. Um, he's in Teach the Fist Fight, the Charlie Day and Ice Cube movie that was really bad from last year um, or earlier this year. I don't even remember anymore. It was bad, but he's funny in it. Um, so... Yeah, that's uh, The Big Sick. Um, again, support indie films, guys. If it comes to you, uh, go check it out. It looks great. All right. Uh, Corey? Oh, I said uh, agreed. Uh, well, we're going to get into our review of Lolita from 1962. And uh, following, Corey, from uh, what we did last week, but let's see if we can do it smoother this time. We're going to start <laughs> with our, our initial um, feelings about the movie, and then we will do a spoiler warning, and we'll get into anything we want to say about the film. Um, so if um, you haven't watched it already, don't don't turn off the podcast just yet. We're going to keep it uh, spoiler-free for a moment. Although, to be fair, this is, I think, the oldest film we've done so far. Does that seem right? I think so. And it's also, I'm pretty sure, the longest film we've done so far. I'm uh, sorry. It's okay. Two hours and 33 minutes. I would like to ask, what uh, what prompted you to pick this movie? That's a great question. Um, as usual, listeners, we were unprepared <laughs> when it came to that part of the podcast. So I was like trying to go through really quick uh, thinking of um, actors or directors I wanted to delve a little deeper into. And Kubrick is definitely one of them. 
and I don't really, I've seen some of his films, but um, this one I hadn't really heard a lot about. I had kind of a slight idea about what it, you know, was about, but um, yeah. Well, with that note, um, the film is directed by Stanley Kubrick. It stars um, James Mason, who I know from <sighs> North by Northwest, um, mainly. Um, Shelley Winters, Sue Lyon, and uh, the big name to me out of all the other people in the movie is Peter Sellers, um, who is uh, hilarious. He's in the Pink Panther movies, but more where I, I really became a fan of his was in um, Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, uh, another Stanley Cooper film that would come out two years after Lolita. Um, he is, I think, three characters in that movie. Holy moly. And he is hilarious. <laughs> Um, and he's funny in this too, actually. He's still the same kind of quirky, um, character, not the exact same, but definitely a quirky character. So the IMDb summary of this movie is a middle-aged college professor, um, that's James Mason, becomes infatuated with a 14-year-old nymphette. Um, nymphette seems a little, little strong of a phrase to me, but, um. I don't think so at all. You don't think it's too strong? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Well, um, so right away when I read the, the description, I was very nervous about what you had us watching. I can only imagine your dad. I'm sorry. Uh, a dad, um, you know, this idea of... A teacher? I mean, yeah, this is... It's just, it's a disturbing subject matter for sure. Although, um, I, I did some reading before I watched it too, uh, which I don't, I didn't read reviews, but I just did some reading about what the movie was. And that it's it's a dark comedy essentially, um, more so than not. It is um, it's definitely tongue in cheek about the relationship and the way uh, this adult male um, behaves. And uh, then you have um, Peter, <clears throat> ooh man, Peter Sellers' character, uh, Quilty. I'm trying to think of his first name, um, Claire Claire Quilty, um, who is off the charts like goofy like. He is a an artist. He's a poet, or um, not just poet. I'm sorry, a playwright, playwright. and a screenwright apparently, um, and an actor to some degree. And he's very, very quirky whenever he shows up on film. So, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> overall, uh, I thought it was very long, <laughs> but uh, definitely it's it's a very well made film. You know, there's nothing really to um hate on the film like the acting is very very good the writing is good uh the camera work is good it did make me mainly uncomfortable though even though because it's 1962 all of the sexuality is is toned down quite a bit i would say like anytime there's any kind of allusions to sex it's all off camera nothing happens in the frame especially with the uh the 14 year old girl but it is discussed and talked about even that fairly tamely though right Agreed. Oh. I it took me a minute um la uh, the other night when I, I'm sorry I had to watch it in two parts. I'm sorry. I know you hate that, but you did no. say earlier you watched half of a movie. Um, it was just too much for me to take in all at once. Mm. Um, and it took me a minute to place, um, to place Professor Humbert, and then I realized after a few minutes that he plays Richard K. Stricker in. Salem's Lot and ah. I know that's a made for TV movie but I freaking love that movie so much and I don't even care um, which it seems like Stanley Kubrick really likes to adapt movies based off of books it does uh, we have The Shining we have uh, Clockwork Orange um, we have Salem's Lot which that was a isn't that no 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 who did Salem's Lot that was I don't think it's Kubrick but I don't know nope sorry it's okay. I'm going crazy I'm getting everything mixed up Stephen King wrote the book, right? So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I I don't know much. I know of that movie. I don't think I've ever seen it, though. Oh, it's another one of those that when I want to chill, I watch it. No, sorry. This was Toby Hooper was the director of Salem's Lot. All right. I stand corrected. Big time. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. Um, you corrected it, so it's not a big deal. But um, so... Both of us uh, found the movie to be off-putting, which it's, I definitely think he wants you to feel that way. Um, and we don't want to get into too many spoilers or anything like right now, so I think that's a good kind of starting point. It is a dark comedy about a, an adult man falling in love with a 14-year-old um, girl, 
and uh even it doesn't even get into like how they meet and anything so just to i guess to summarize a little bit more um he is uh looking for a place to stay um while he debates on taking a specific job and so he um goes to a bed and breakfast and the woman is very flirty and he's really annoyed and he's clearly trying to figure out a way to get out of there until he meets her daughter and he sees her sunbathing and uh he immediately is like oh yeah i'll stay here and it's immediately creepy at that point it's immediately like oh god what is wrong with this guy um because just from the look of her he was like oh i'm gonna put myself in a position where i can try to uh get closer to this young girl um and so he moves in and uh begins staying there and it gets well it gets weirder from there and we'll we'll leave it at that before we get into spoilers so Corey. I would like some music to segue into this, please, mm. if we could work on that. Um, so we are probably going to spoil this for you. Um, it is an older movie. If you want to check it out before you listen to the rest of this podcast, you can do so. Or full steam ahead. And there Spoilers. we go. That's right. From this point forward, we are going to talk freely about this movie. So, Corey, um, I was really shocked uh, when the mother, who's played by Shelley Winters, I hope I'm saying that right, um, dies <laughs> um yeah shelly winters um that is mrs hayes and um uh, dolores hayes to be uh, exact um it's a funny turn of events as um hum- humbert is debating shooting her with the gun that uh, she presented to him that she told him was not loaded which it was um and he's debating it where we hear his narration there's definitely um I wouldn't call this film noir, but there's definitely a noir. Um, they play around with the noir genre a little bit because there's the we hear the narrative. Um, there's a lot of darkness in this movie. You know, the characters are not real redeemable. I would say Lolita qualifies as a femme fatale, and so there's definitely some noir elements, but it's done tongue in cheek and um, definitely meant to be you know kind of picking at this subject matter rather than it being taken seriously or genuine, um, and. Uh, he, Humbert has married Dolores, um, basically so he has a reason to stay, uh, and be near Lolita, which is so messed up and twisted. Um, and so he's debating killing her, and then, uh, she, she's gonna shoot her while she's in the bathtub, and when he goes to open the door, she's not in the bathtub. The water's running, but she's not there. She has found his journal where he's made declarations of love for Lolita, um, and he's trying to calm her down and keep her civil. And he goes downstairs and he's making her tea. And then he gets a phone call that she's been hit by a car. And he's like, what? No, she's upstairs. And no, she's run out the front door and been hit by a car. Corey, do you think she killed herself or an accident transpired? Um, I think I am going to answer this question. And then I want to back up a little bit. Um, I think that she killed herself i think that she purposefully you know walked out or ran out in front of moving vehicles yeah and that that i think that's what we're supposed to take i think it was intentional um that she ran out into traffic on purpose um so what did you want to back up to then okay so i initially thought that this mother i still think she's a nutcase oh yeah i still think that she's absolutely nuts but there is a point where she is trying to seduce him before they get married and lolita comes home early from some dance or party or something and um her mother goes nuts she's spying on us blah 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 blah, and she's just like she she calls her a horrible child quite frequently maybe mm-hmm. not per those same words but and i'm like she hasn't really done anything to be so horrible but i think that they haven't shown us that side of lolita that early on in the film yeah. so that we would you know agree with her mother but um i thought that that was kind of interesting and why do you why i'm i don't know who am i to judge but why are you going to introduce the man you're trying to seduce to your husband's ashes that you keep in an urn in your bedroom and then show him the gun and all these things? It was so weird. She's well, so weird. the gun and the ashes were after he was already married to her, though. But, oh, sorry. Um, but the seduction, um, she's really throwing herself hard at him. He has really expressed no interest, although 
um, he does seem to be like kind of dating her. Um, like I think he feels just to keep her kind of calm, but she clearly sees something between him and Lolita. Like there's a jealous uh, element about her right away. Um, and she sends Lolita to summer camp, which do you, did you catch the name of the summer, the summer camp? I did completely uh, inappropriate. Yeah. So much. So it's a uh, camp climax for an all girls summer camp. Um, <laughs> with one guy that lives there because like, it's the son of really? like the camp counselor or whatever. Um, yeah, totally. Because again, it's it's Kubrick's little drops of hints that this whole movie is not meant to be taken seriously. Like it's a, it's a dark comedy. It's a twisted, you know, awful type story. Um, but yeah, so she sends her off to summer camp, and that's when um, he's wrapped with despair because he'll be gone. And before Lolita leaves, this is really the first time we see any kind of hint that Lolita definitely seems interested in him. She runs back inside and says, I guess this is goodbye, Vin. You'll be gone when I get back. And so what does he do? He marries the mom so he doesn't have to leave. He has a reason to stay. Um, and now that she's dead, not this is because this all happens relatively quickly, within a month, um, apparently. Like, they're married and everything. Because um, he was only supposed to be there for the summer, I thought. And, you know, all this has transpired relatively quickly. Um, so she's dead now. He goes to get uh, Lolita. There's a funny scene with him in the bathtub after the death where uh, they're, her friends, who are their friends, I guess, um, come to console him. And then the cop shows up and he's everyone's just in the, bathtub, uh, in the bathroom while he's in the bathtub. And he's totally calm about that, too. Everyone else is kind of uncomfortable, but he's like, no, it's fine. But um, um, he goes and gets Lolita from the camp. And that's when it gets really, really you know, a lot darker. One of the things that I really liked about the movie, though, is um, do you see it? It seems to be, in a way, a commentary about um, infatuation more so than love. Um, Dolores was infatuated with um, Humph Humbert, and he, in turn, is infatuated with Lolita. And we watch her pine over him, and she's worried about him. She's jealous of him. She doesn't trust him. Um, and that's all relatively quickly, but when it's happening, it's like, that's that whole conversation before, um, when he decides he's contemplating killing her, she's, who have you been with before me? And she's all crazy jealous. And then she goes and reads his diary and finds out about Lolita and she's even more crazy jealous, although rightfully so then. Um, but like, I, don't, I would have just murdered him. Oh, instead of killing yourself. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would have done. I mean, you're like making these comments about my young teenage daughter, I will cut you. <laughs> yep. Well, um, he takes on her personality, though, um, in the relationship with Lolita, where he is very jealous of her. He's very controlling of her. He doesn't want her to do anything extracurricular. He's trying to stop her from meeting anyone else so she so she doesn't realize she can do better. Um, he's afraid of her r realizing that this old guy is not the best choice for her as a boyfriend. So he's trying to isolate her, trying to keep her locked down. Um, but that, of course, doesn't happen because he can't be with her every minute of every day. Um, and that's really how the plot develops. So they've developed a relationship. They've had an affair. And there's some people seem to be aware of this, uh, um, like, in the town. Or at least they're suspicious of them. Like, the, the way he behaves with her and stuff, I guess. Um, and she claims she's never told anybody, although... If she is supposed to be a femme fatale, I would totally think she has told people um, to to stir the pot. But it's never said one way or another for sure, except for uh, one guy. Which I guess we should start with that, actually. The movie starts at the end. Uh, very common of noir film as well. Um, we see uh, hum Humbert coming into a big mansion that has... Uh, been abused i guess that's the way to say it. like there's beer cans and there's empty glasses and there's sheets everywhere and eventually uh quilty peter sellers sh uh shows himself and there's a funny um interaction at a ping pong table <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before finally um humbert um shoots him and uh kills him and then we get four years later uh four years earlier so the whole movie spans four years, although a lot of it is relatively quickly. It, it doesn't really tell us how fast time is progressing. I would say the first half of the movie is a, like a month or two after the movie begins, and then it jumps quite a bit in time. I feel like that's fair. Um, I, don't, I don't think I agree with you um, about the whole 
Lolita thing. Um, I think that he knows her personality because she's already said that she's pretty much slept with the counselor's son. Um, that's how they kind of seg, you know, they're like, it's a game. And then, um, she is, she's only 14. She's having relations with him. Um, and then he keeps catching her places with boys. So I totally see that he's jealous and he's controlling and all these things, but I don't, and she's only 14. So I don't want to say that it's not founded or anything like that, because anyways, it's inappropriate, but you know what I mean? Like he keeps finding her in these situations with these other boys and stuff. And I feel like it would be, what are you, what are you disagreeing with me with? What did I say that you were disagreeing? Oh, that maybe it's not disagreeing that I just see it a different way that he's becoming controlling and stuff because he doesn't want her to know that she can do better. But I think that I don't necessarily think that it would be that she would do better. It's just because I don't think she ever does better. Excuse me. Well, um, that may or may not be true, but uh, looking at <laughs> the, the jealous mindset, um, the, I mean, granted she has not proven to be loyal, but I feel like he's afraid of losing her, much like the uh, Miss Hayes was afraid of losing him, and thus anybody is a threat because all it takes is her thinking. It doesn't mean they would actually be better. Yeah, thinking that you know, oh, this guy is younger, this guy's cuter, this guy's got you know money, or in the realm of Quilty, he's got talent, you know, um, and he sees talent in her, and also. The irony, of course, is when you pull someone's freedom away, that freedom is what they're going to crave. So him removing her ability to do things makes her want it more, um, which is very common. You see that in a lot of situations where, um, like, a pa- uh, overly strict parent, the kids are often more rebellious. So, you know, he, that's essentially what he's doing by, you know, trying to control her so much, especially her, because we've seen that that didn't work with the mother. When the mother tried to control her, all it did was make her lash out, you know, um, mm-hmm. more. I read somewhere, this might have been Wikipedia, so definitely not a uh, necessarily a reputable source, but um, I did a little reading, too, because at first I was a little confused about what was going on, and it said that Stanley Kubrick um, was pretty upset about how much he had to censor the movie and that if he would have known ahead of time how much he had to censor it, he probably wouldn't have made it. Mm. So again, I'm not sure how true that is. I didn't go fact, you know, checking mm. that very much, but um, yeah, there were like some parts of the movie that were so vague. I was really unsure and I don't see Lolita as a victim. I don't know if you do, but um, I mean... she's very manipulative and she's, Already using her, I don't even want to say just sexuality. She's using sex to get what she wants. That's not untrue. I mean, um, she does she does that a few times, which I guess is at the prompting of Quilty later in the film. We re, the reveal is that uh, Quilty met her before um, Humphrey uh, Humbert ever met her, and she was immediately into him. Um, and apparently, I guess he might have had sex with the mother there's like some comment about that i didn't get that vibe from their meeting you know when they go to the dance and she like goes up and says hi to him she clearly was into him i didn't feel like there was any evidence that they had a real relationship but um lolita alludes to it later that they had and that she met him then and they were they were smitten with each other and um he that's why uh humbert was there to kill him because he he convinced Lolita to leave him um and it was with her for a while but eventually uh she left him I think was what she said does that sound mm-hmm. right yeah because they she said a couple times that uh he tried to get her to make an art movie and I didn't know if they were kind of trying to allude to a porno porn that's what I yeah I, I definitely think that's what that was there and that might have again been one of those censorship things where he couldn't say specifically what he wanted then again he is a nuanced writer and director so um allowing us to put that together ourselves um i could see that you know being sensible i've been trying to figure out you know um the first hotel they go to uh after he picks her up from the camp um the the guy at the desk is his name is swine which is you know a pig which i you know that's clearly 
that's intentional. That's not an accident. The kid, the character's name is Swine, especially not with a Kubrick film. Kubrick loves leaving little Easter eggs for you to pick up on, and um, Easter eggs not even the right word, but these little in jokes that you have to be paying attention to get. Um, the fact the way the men are all acting about Lolita, they're all pigs. They're all nasty, dirty pigs who see a pretty girl and will do whatever they can to get her, essentially. Um, and she doesn't mind it, which is where I, I have a hard time saying she's not a victim because she's 14. Um, I totally agree. I that And I felt like there was no good way for me to say that. There's no good way but for I me think, to just... I do think the character is written like a femme fatale, and femme fatales are not victims. They are the... They are the perpetrators. They are the manipulators. They are the ones luring the men in with their sexuality. It's just not usually a 14-year-old girl um, in that role. And that's where it becomes uncomfortable, which I think, again, is what Kubrick wants us to feel. I don't think we're supposed to watch this movie thinking, oh, well, I see that. Like, I get why, you know, he would throw his whole life away for this young girl. Like, no, we're not supposed to relate to the character. And that's, again, a noir vibe. These are all awful people. None of them are good. Um, Humbert's willing to kill over it. Uh, Quilty's manipulating. Quilty manipulates everybody, um, including Humbert. Like, cause he, you know, he does the whole police thing at that hotel. He later does the psychologist, which is some of the funniest stuff. Um, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, he. Yeah, he acts like he's a school psychologist. Yeah, and the claims that he makes and how he manipulates him into uh, letting her be in the play because he's. <laughs> written this play that he wants Lolita to star in for the school. Um, and then he's later uh, a phone call. I forget who, what the phone call entails, but he calls, um, does he say he's the doctor or he's the police or something? I think he says he's the police and we've heard rumors about you and Lolita or whatever, something like that happens <laughs> when she's in the hospital um, sick with a flu, which I'm not sure if she was ever really sick or not. Like, it seems like she must have been because the nurse says her temperatures come down. But at the same time, it was a, the whole thing was a ruse to get him away from her so Quilty could come and pick her up. Um, and he, he'd been following her. I mean, it's not the plot doesn't have to make sense because it is meant to be kind of over the top silly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's this is the movie. It's got a lot of weird, quirky moments. There's some very funny scenes in the film. Um trying to, to look at I'm looking here to see what else there is um I have a bunch of notes but most of them are just kind of generic little things um I didn't like uh when he's married to uh Miss Hayes he does say be a good little wife and make me a breakfast or coffee or something like that. which that's of the time um for sure <laughs> um and she had noticed she took no offense to that because again that was of the time um yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about this movie. Um, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm right. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I feel like, actually, I feel like this movie is overrated. Well, I, I think it's easy to, uh, to overrate a Kubrick film. Um, he's going to get a pass on almost all of his movies because he is... A genius um the guy who's made some of the most iconic films in history um and from what i've heard even like eyes wide shut when it first came out was kind of reviled and people hated on it um but i've heard it in from many critics like second watching second viewings it's still a work of art um it may not be accessible to everybody and it may not be what people want from a movie but it's still a work of art and i think lolita could benefit from multiple viewings um I think it would, you know, odds are there's commentary being made that we we don't get because we're not familiar with the time period. Um, That's true. And so maybe a little bit of, you know, reading of uh, like what Lolita is really about from uh, from scholars and things like that could help us to appreciate some of the humor more. Because even Peter Sellers, who I, th I think is hilarious, even in this movie, a lot of the times it's just this big like performance that he's doing it's not necessarily anything he's saying that's funny it's just like wow this guy has something you know you can tell he's a funny actor but i'm not necessarily laughing at this movie you know what i mean mm -hmm. and um so i think this movie could benefit from a lot like full metal jacket is a really great example to me i love the first act of that movie which is the basic training the boot camp but mm -hmm. i i kind of lose interest after that like, that sequence, that whole opening moment, 
I love like almost everything about that sequence. And as soon as it ends and they go into Vietnam, I, I feel a little lost. Um, I don't like I've only watched Full Metal Jacket once. I want to clarify. I'm not like same. Um, so I, I think that movie, though, I think the second two acts are less straightforward and require subsequent viewings, which I have not given them where that first act is so straightforward. The commentary is obvious what he's talking about and the 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 everything's really just there for you to kind of absorb. And the events of that moment have such an impact on the one soldier that it affects his being the rest of the time he's in the war. But it didn't, I didn't pick up on all those things watching it the first time. And I feel like Lolita is probably the same. You've seen The Shining how many times? Like, I mean, over 10, I would guess. Oh, easy. But that movie, I feel like, is not meant to. (laughs) I don't know. Like, there are so many different theories about that movie, what mm-hmm. it's about, all these things. Well, and, and I and that's but that's Kubrick, I think, in a nutshell. And that's why he's so revered by film critics is he is meticulous. He's you've heard the stories of him being like a, a brutal professional uh, perfectionist when he yeah, films. from you. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, and those stories are not obviously my stories, but yeah. the Yeah, but I wasn't aware. Yeah. Like where he, he will redo scene after scene. doesn't matter how long they've been shooting. He's going to get the what he envisions for the scene, and that is um, that's an, a, a talent to appreciate. Yet it is at some point it becomes insane and, and cruel, even um, at least in the stories that I've heard. And most of the stories I I had never heard of Lolita. Um, like I'm, I mean, the name I've heard references to it, and even in movies like Lolita has been referenced. And I now wonder if those are references to this film or if it's just a name that they chose to use. Um, I kind of want to look back at movies that I that have used the name Lolita and ponder if they are are those characters nymphets also, you know, like is it referencing back to this movie? And apparently there was a remake um, that I initially oh, was that a I, remake. I don't know if it's a remake or not. I just I find it always coincidental when a film has the same uh, character Melanie name Griffith. like that. Um, I could see it being a very similar movie, maybe not identical. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, and so. I'm sure if we do some research, uh, we might find a, a greater appreciation for this film. Without that, though, I would say this falls into a decent watch for me. Um, it's definitely not... I don't think it's a must-see. Um, there's some really great performances in this film, for sure. In no way am I insult. I'm, I'm trying not to insult this movie at all. I just think it's um, maybe... It's definitely a uh, discomfort. It's an uncomfortable film to watch. And... Um, there was nothing that stood out to me as like, I need to watch this again, or this is the best of this. Like, there's not, oh, this is the funniest, or this is the best commentary, or this is any, none of that stuck out to me like that. Again, there's nothing wrong with the movie. There's nothing, you know, everything's really solid. I just, it didn't resonate with me. I almost forgot to talk about this too, because one of the most uncomfortable scenes for me, and I can't place my finger on what about it exactly but the scene where he is giving her a pedicure yeah and the film opens with that shot of him painting toenails um but you can't see who that is uh when it's happening you just see a a, a, i would say a very clearly male hand painting the toenails of a young foot and later there is another scene of him doing that it's um it's again that's where i said he's playing the role of hayes was to him he is to lolita um, subservient, um, afraid of losing, you know, desperately, hopelessly in love and, uh, willing to do anything Wait, you know, he's being a good little husband. You know, that line I referenced earlier, it's essentially him portraying that he's being this, you know, subservient male character to Lolita showing who had the power even beforehand, um, between the mom and the daughter. Lolita always had the power. She is that type of person. I also give it a decent watch. Yeah, there's not much, um, again, without doing some research and maybe w- what is it. Now, I haven't done any critic reviews at all. I IMDb has a 7.2 user rating, but there's no Metacritic because this is too old. I didn't look up a Rotten Tomato score for it, so I don't know how critics respond to it, but it's a Kubrick film, so I imagine high. Um, I've not heard many critics uh, give too much negativity um, towards Kubrick, there are the contrarians, but generally speaking, Kubrick's well regarded in the industry. Um, so, I imagine this has a 
positive. And again, Peter Sellers too, his comedic performance. And um, James Mason is a great villain in North by Northwest. Um, so, all right. Corey, I did, uh, I picked a movie. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I figured since you picked Lolita, it was my turn. And I think we should kind of go back and forth with this. I think this is the fun way to do this, um, kind of spring it on each other. Um, I picked the 2014 film Rudderless. Have you heard of that? I don't know if I have. All right. Well, it is directed. It's the directorial debut of William H. Macy. Um, and it stars Billy Crudup, who I sat with at a movie theater once. Um, he did, I mean, with, he's probably too strong. <laughs> and then um, our boy Anton Yelchin is in it as well. Oh, I love Ant. Um, oh, and oddly enough, this is the second film I've picked with Selena Gomez in it, which I didn't know when I picked it. But um, John, oh, hold on, and just I haven't watched the trailer or anything because I haven't heard of this. But apparently, you know, our boy Anton plays guitar in this one. So, yep. um, the premise of the film, uh, William. I'm sorry, I'm trying. This is not. Um, here it is. When Sam discovers a box of his son's demo tapes, he sets out on an emotional journey that ultimately revitalizes his life. Hey everybody, this is John. Um, we had a technical er error at the end that I didn't notice until it was too late to re-record. So just a heads up, uh, we are watching Rudderless for our movie for the movie club next week, episode 25. Um, if you watch the movie and you want to give us your comments so we can read them on the podcast, you can tweet at me at Burke Reviews or tweet at Corey at Corey, R star, two R's on the end, and let us know. You can also email us or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Peace. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.